Well, my name is Pastor Bon. As you know, uh, Pastor Ross is supposed to be on vacation, but he's here, you know. And so uh, this morning we are in the book of Revelation. The word revelation means to uncover or unveil. The Greek word is apocalypse. Most people think the word means a cataclysmic event or God's wrath. Oh, is that Siri? What is that? <laughs> Siri... What does that mean, Siri? <laughs> so, when, when you think of the apocalypse, most of the world thinks of some kind of huge natural disaster or the wrath of God. The word apocalypse means pull back a covering or a veil that is hiding something. Think of a statue that has been covered and now it's going to be released and they move the covering and it's revealed and you get to see all the artistic work. It's beautiful because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I, and I love this. It, it really, it is the great revelation of Jesus Christ to us, his followers. That's what revelation is. And because it is a revelation, then surely it can be understood. In fact, verse three has a blessing for those who read it, understand it and obey it. And so I love that about the Lord. The, the Lord has, has given us a book about the end times. And in that book, he's given us specific events. And in those events, there's a timeline that we can see. And that these timelines, I mean, this timeline can show us where we're at when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's the theme of the message this morning. Behold, Jesus is coming soon. And I love that God gives us fair warning regarding the last day. It means that he cares for us and that he loves us enough to reveal a whole book of events to us. What are these events? They are truths that are in our future, events that concern the end of the world. The book of Revelation is not a concealing of truth, but a revealing of truth. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we ask that you would speak to us that we would see you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, I remember how, how much I hated religion. I, hate, I, hate, I despised Christianity, and I waved my fist at you with my life. And yet you revealed your grace and your love to me, Lord, that caused my knees to bend and to surrender to you. And that's what I pray this morning for every single person here, Lord that we would see you, Jesus, that we would get a glimpse of your glory, that we would be changed, Lord, far better than when we came in through those doors. And so this morning, Lord, speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who testified to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here it is. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. The message originates with God. It was given to Jesus Christ. He gave it to his angel, his angel gave it to John, and from John it goes to his servants that they might know what is coming to pass. And that is the way it comes to us today. The theme of the book of Revelation is not the seven churches, not the seven seals, not the seven trumpets, not the seven bowls, the beast, and the Antichrist, or any symbolism. The theme is Jesus Christ the victor. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's what we're going to see in the book of Revelation. In verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches in province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is, notice all these amazing descriptive words about Jesus, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of kings of the earth. Now notice the trinity there. You have the one who is and who was and who is to come, the father. 
and from the seven spirit, this is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit there. And then from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, we have the triune God right here in verses 4 through 5. And then it goes on to say this in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I love this phrase here. The, it's the prologue of Revelation. It means it's the introduction to the whole book. And here he says this. He says that he has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be kingdoms and priests forever. That's what Jesus has done for you and I, those who have given your lives to Jesus. That's what he's done. In fact, when you get into chapter 5 of Revelation and there's the heavenly scene, there's a beautiful thing that's taken place. It's beautiful worship. And it's all these saints. You've got the saints there. You've got you know, millions and millions of angels. You've got the elders. And we know that they're the saints because they're singing this very song. You have paid for us by your blood. Notice it says this in, in chapter 5 of Revelation verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open it still, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. By the way, that's a heavenly scene. It means we're in heaven, my friends. We're there after the rapture and we're in heaven before chapter 6 on the future events. And it's an amazing testimony. The prologue makes it clear. Here in chapters 5 makes it clear that there's going to be a rapture. Now, you know, people get all excited with the end time events. They want to talk about post-trib and all-millennial. And I'm like, you know, I'm not a, I don't like to argue. Listen, we all went to Bible college, seminary. We all studied this and we fell in the camp of pre-trib, you know. And by the way, this is Calvary Chapel. This is what we teach, pre-trib, pre-millennial. Don't be offended. This, this is Calvary Chapel. And this is the thing. We're going to be in heaven when the wrath of God is being poured out on the earth. It makes it very clear in this statement here in the prologue. And then he puts us in heaven in chapter 5, which is so evident. In fact, it's interesting that one of the great scholars of the post-trib said, if the words us is in chapter 5, then it's a rapture scene. That's what, they, that's what he said. It's amazing. Anyway, that's for you to study. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, you can get really deep into the study of God's Word. One day I'll do a study in Revelation uh, on a different day, and then we can just dive into every uh, verse here. Uh, and so I, I love this. It goes on to speak about Jesus' coming here. Look, it says in verse 7, Look, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And so that's the title of my message. Behold, Jesus is coming soon. Knowing that Jesus is coming again, how ought we to live our lives? In Luke 17, 26 to 29, it says this, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day of Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Again, he gives a second example. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling. And then he goes on planting and building. But the day a Lot left Sodom, fire, but the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And Jesus goes on to say this in verse 30, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. And that's scary thinking about where we're at as American. As Americans, boy, we are busy about our lives. We're busy about, you know, our dreams. <laughs> we have lost Christ as being the priority in our lives. 
We don't live with our eyes focused on heaven anymore. When Jesus declares this in the gospel, I can see it today in the churches. We're just busy. We're a rich country. We have amazing occupations. We want to live as if this is our kingdom, not realizing that our kingdom is yet to come. And so the preparation, and I love reading Revelation. I love reading the whole Bible, but Revelation really makes us sit back and examine our lives. Where are we before the Lord? And so let's move on. We'll let the Holy Spirit do his work. And then in verse 8, it says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient, endured that our, ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. If you remember Domitian, the emperor of Rome, who reigned from 80, 81 to 96, he demanded everybody to worship him as God. John refused. And Tertullian, the Christian historian, and our church father, he was around 80, 155 to 220, he wrote this. John was plunged, unhurt, into boiling oil. It is said that John raised his hand while he was in the oil and began to sing. Of course, Domitian was freaked out and said, send John to the island of Patmos. And there he was. And the island of Patmos today in, in, the, island of, in the islands there of the area of Greece is, is such a beautiful place. But in the wintertime, it is harsh. And it was a prison. And that's where they took John to break rock. And that's where he was. He was there when he received this message. If you go today, by the way, Pastor Ross is, is um, arranging uh, the, foot, the footsteps of Paul uh, in next, next year. So every year we'll do something different. Next year is footsteps of Paul. You get to go to Athens and travel where Paul traveled there in Athens and into Corinth and then over to Ephesus and, of course, to the island of Patmos. When we went, it was spectacular. It was beautiful. The water was blue and this turquoise. And, and here we are sitting, you know, on these, on these uh, benches. And, and, and Pastor Ross is just reading us the story here of John being on the island of Patmos for the testimony of Jesus Christ and his word. It goes on to say in verse 10, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Pergamum Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, of course, these churches were in what we would call modern-day Turkey, uh, and so it, it used to be really easy to go and visit these churches uh, in their different places. They don't exist, but the spot where they were exists today still, and, and it's usually in rubbles or some hole in the ground. Uh, but you get to go to the church in Ephesus, which is pretty amazing where Paul went uh, to preach the gospel there. And so uh, if, if you, you know, when you're reading this thus far, in this chapter, there are significant statements that are said about the revelation of Jesus Christ. So many times people are so eager to get into the millennial views of the book that they skim over the most important message. They miss who Jesus is and that Jesus is coming again. Listen to what we just read about Jesus. Jesus is the risen, glorified Son of God ministering to the churches. He is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the world, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and was and is to come, the almighty, the one who is holy and true, the beginning of all creation, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb on the throne, the Messiah who reigns forever, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen to the description in verse 12 about Jesus. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. 
and the eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face with the, was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. The description of Jesus declares his attributes. The white robe speaks of moral purity and priestly duties. The golden sash around his chest speaks of the high priest. Hair white as snow speaks of the ancient day spoken of there in Daniel chapter 7. The gray hair speaks of wisdom knowing all. Eyes were like blazing fire, the consuming fire that comes from his, 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 his mind and his voice. He sees all things. He's omniscient. His feet are like bronze. Bronze speaks of judgment. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword, the word of God. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. This is his majesty, his glory. And what does John do when he sees him? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I don't know about you. <laughs> when I first experienced Jesus, I remember coming to the altar and I remember falling on my face and crying the most bitter cry of all time. Because I realized who I was before the creator of the universe. All my life, up until 25, I raised my fist at him through my life. Wanted nothing to do with religion. Wanted nothing to do with Christianity. And here I am before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is speaking to me and calling me by name. And all I can do is fall on my face and cry. I'm here, Lord. I'm yours. Many of the, many of the saints throughout the Bible have done it. Isaiah, Ezekiel. We see these great men. He says to, Jesus says to him, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Remember, this is the same John who sat next to Jesus during the supper. Remember that he put his head right on his chest. He is the same one that walked with Jesus along the roads of Galilee. He watched Jesus heal the blind and the deaf and the lame people. John is the same who watched Jesus feed 5,000 with a little bread and a few fishes. But that was God in humiliation, God wrapped in flesh. Here, when John sees Jesus, he is glorified in power as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's a different view for John indeed. Then he goes on in verse 19. He says, Write therefore what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here he tells us about the stars. The stars are the angels. The word angel is messenger. Um, so when you read about the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, it's interesting there that there is a rebuke from Jesus going out to the angels and the seven churches. So it seems to me, because Jesus is rebuking the angel, that they are pastors. They are leaders of the church, not necessarily the angels. Because it doesn't seem to me that Jesus would put angels that would disobey him <laughs> there in that position. So it seems to me, as pastors, you can do the research for your own your own self. The seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And I love that because Jesus is in the midst. He's in the seven churches there. What that declares to us that he's here in our midst. And man, if we could only get there in our spiritual minds and in our spiritual hearts, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Jesus is in the midst. And it's interesting because whenever I focus in, it's interesting how the world becomes so dim. There's nobody here. There's nobody worshiping but me. And now I see Jesus. I have just entered in from the world into the presence of God. And that's what can happen every time we meet, my friend. This is what we can do as we worship the Lord. We enter in to worship. And it's there that we see Jesus. And it's there 
or we become humble and fall on our faces and cry out, oh, Lord, me of undone lips, me a sinner of sinner, and we worship him and praise him. And I love that. He's in the middle. But notice verse 19. Verse 19 is the outline of Revelation. I love the way that the King James writes it. He writes it like this. Write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1. John saw Jesus in all his glory. And the things which are. This is the, where, where John presently is before the church age. Now the church age is, uh, will covers chapters 2 and 3. But it began at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus till now. We are in the church age. And so when John is seeing this vision, he sees the seven churches, he sees the church age. And in the last section there, he, he writes, write the things which will take place after this. After what? After the church age. That's in the future. That's from chapters 4 to chapters 22. So the outline is very clear. Write the things you see, chapter 1. Write the things which are the church age, chapters 2 and 3. Write the things that are yet in the future, chapters 4 and 22. It's interesting, the Greek word that's used for after this. It's metatauta. It's the word that says uh, after. It's our English word after this. It's the same word that he begins chapter 4 with. After this. After what? After the church age. You see, it puts us... In heaven in chapters 4 and 5 and then we see the great tribulation take place in chapter 6 and then onward. It's amazing the outline, a simple outline that God has given to us to understand Revelation. I have an outline of the seven churches. They were uh, seven churches there in uh, modern day Turkey uh, and John wrote a specific letter for them. Of course, Jesus writing to them and he says specific detailed things to each church. And there are three things here I want to point out. The church were seven real churches at the time. Some believer, they uh, believe that they represent seven churches, church ages. In other words, the apostolic church would cover from 32, 33 AD all the way to 100 AD and, and so on and so forth. Now, that should alarm you if it's true, if they do represent the church, then we are at the last church. We're the lukewarm church, the church of Laodicea. I don't know about you, but as a whole, as the church worldwide, especially in the U.S., I see it. I see it lukewarm. I see us changing the word of God, avoiding doctrine and changing doctrine no longer holding on to the truth of God's word. I see a great apostasy taking place. 60% of the church no longer believe in the virgin birth. It's not necessary, they say. They don't believe that Jesus is the only way. There's many ways to get to heaven, they say. That's, that's way over 50%, guys. There's so many doctrines that the churches don't believe today. I wonder what they teach on Sunday morning. You know, I, I used to always, when I travel around the world, I get my Bible and I say, if you guys aren't going to believe this book, then don't even go by it. And I would throw it down on the ground. You know, we, we can do that here, but don't you do it in front of the senior saints here. And don't you do it in front of anybody around the world because this is God's word. But I would throw it and go, why do you even believe in it? If you're not going to obey God's word, if you're going to pick and choose what you want, why believe in it? Just make up your own rules. Make up your own truth. Very scary to see what's happening in our time. Then the, finally, each church represents seven church types that have existed since the church began and will exist until Christ returns. Our church may have the hard work and patience of Ephesus, while another, the lukewarm attitude of Laodicea. Now, when we evaluate our church, like I, I think that, we're the best church on planet Earth, guys. I, you guys are amazing. You know, we, we, get to, we get to do a lot around the world. We get to go uh, to India and Nepal and share the gospel and everybody partakes. We're going to Uganda on the 24th or 23rd of this month. And uh, we're going to, it's amazing. What we, we, have, we get this amazing opportunity to go into a region in Uganda that's 95% Muslim. 
and we get to share. I, I, it's, it's a blast. It's scary as heck, but it's a blast. I'll walk up to a coffee shop, and it's outdoors, and there'll be like 40, 50, 60 men sitting there. And I'll walk up, and I'll say, hey, you know, I'm from America. Welcome. I, that's how you say, you know, how you doing. Welcome. And they're like, oh, welcome. And I say, hey, when we're in America, and we're in, like at a coffee shop, we talk about politics, sports, or religion. What are you guys talking about? And they always say this. Well, we want to hear from you. Religion it is. <laughs> I love it, man. This church is amazing because you partner with us and we get to go do all kinds of amazing things in the name of Jesus. Even here, if you're traveling with Pastor Ross, oh my goodness, he, he shares with everybody the gospel message. If there's a horse, the horse has to walk away. This guy is boring, you know, but he will share with everyone. It's amazing that you see Pastor Joe and, and all these men of God and, and you know, Pastor Jarrell, he's going to be a pastor soon, but these guys are not afraid to share the gospel. It's amazing. So I, I evaluate our church really high, but every time we do that, God said, mm, maybe it's not as high as you think. Where are we at here in our church when we look at those seven churches? By the way, only two are right on. The Church of Smyrna and the Church of Philadelphia. The other churches, oh my goodness, what they have allowed to come into church is quite scary. They, they, they allowed false teachings. They allowed the doctrine of Balaam, which is money and name it, claim it, all this other garbage. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff. What's interesting to me, and, and, and I love this part of it, that almost every single church has a remnant. A remnant that stands true to God. And he gives, them, he gives them some encouragement. He says, stand to the very end and you will receive. And he says, gives them a reward. And that, my friends, I think many of us fit in. We're the remnant. And God is doing a marvelous work in us. So here's the outline and the, the church age. Now, regarding future events, and I want to just... Uh, in our time with this. It's in Revelations chapters 4 to 22. Um, you know, when, when, when you think of John writing Revelation, uh, you have to think that he's writing in a language that doesn't fit our modern world. For instance, he's going to speak about military equipment. But all he has is these arrows that have this fireball on them and these big stones with fire wrapped around them. That was his nuclear weapon. So how do you describe a nuclear bomb? How do you describe an Apache helicopter? How do you describe a drone? How do you describe a Mac computer? <laughs> In John's eyes. So what we got to do, we're examining his words and we're looking at our modern technology and we're going, oh, wow, that fits really good. And I want to share some of these to you because Jesus says this to us. He says, we should recognize the signs of the time. And we should see where we're at in that timeline. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Jesus gives us fair warning. Here in Revelation chapter 11, there's these two witnesses that come to the scene. They're, they're there for three and a half years. They they, it says that they have a testimony, and their testimony, of course, of Jesus Christ and him crucified, and they convict the world. The world hates them. I'm talking the worldwide. Worldwide hate these two men. In fact, they're going to try to kill them, but it says they have power to shut up heavens and fire to consume them. Nothing will happen to them for those three and a half years. But at the three and a half year mark, God is going to remove his hand and let them die. We all have to die at some point. They ended up dying. But notice what it says here now. It says there in chapter 11, verse 9, it says this. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their body and refuse to bury them. Did you catch it? Some from every tribe, language, and nations will see their body. 50 to 60 years ago, that was impossible. That couldn't have been done. Now, 
We can see anywhere on planet Earth at any given time. Listen, I saw Nepal, a plane in Nepal. This man took out his app, his, I think it was um, Facebook, it might have been something else, uh, uh, Twitter, and he was, he was just recording the landing. And he was recording the landing live, and the plane went wayward, and you could see the plane do this, and all of a sudden, boom, and it flips and crashes. And you can see the, no one's, you don't hear the screams or anything, but you see the fire coming out and burning. You see the whole thing, live. That was crazy to me. But then I thought of this. I thought, finally, modern technology has caught up the Bible. And it's caught up to the Bible. We're going to be able to see anything happen in any place, in any part of the world now. Have you ever searched your house on Google Maps? So, oh man, I, I search everywhere I travel. I'm like, and you can get it today. You can get today's, you know, map. You can pay whatever it is. There's free ones. But you can see who's parked in your driveway right now. A satellite. We can see anywhere. The now, this come alive. All the social media, you know, tools they allow us to play a live feed from anywhere. Sixty years, fifty years, it was pos- it was impossible. Modern equipment has caught up to the Bible. Check out Revelation thirteen fifteen. Let me give you a heads up. The, there's a first beast, which we know him as the Antichrist, and there's a second beast. He's uh, he's in charge of the religious system. The Antichrist gets this, this wound. He's, uh, he's dead, if you will, mortally wounded. The Bible says that he comes alive, and the whole world's like, who can kill this man? He is powerful. Daniel t- speaks about him being the, the world leader. And then this religious system, like, whoa, we want to honor him, so let's make an image of him. And it says this. Let me read it to you. It says this, Revelation 13, 15, the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image, the image could speak, what? Could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. Have you guys heard of AI, artificial intelligence? Check out this. I, I, last night before I go to sleep, I like to worry, so I put on. <laughs> I put on Fox. I look at Fox News before I go to sleep on my computer. Look what it says on the very bottom there. Okay, it says the humanoid, humanoid robots hold UN press conference say that they could be more efficient and effective world leader. Is that alarming? Listen, I, uh, this is what they say. I was watching uh, 60 Minutes in Australia, and it said this. They are already a major part of our lives. They live in Uber. AI is in the menu log. AI is in our email system, in our calendar, in your spell checker, your grammar. It is in your kid's bus schedule. (laughs) AI is in everything if you're in technology. If you're driving a modern car, guess what? (laughs) AI is there. He's everywhere. (laughs) Listen, I want to read this to you. The expert said this, that AI is smarter than humans. I I believe that. We as humans can become experts in a few things. I'm not even an expert at one thing, but anyways, you you can become a, a, you know, there's so many guys here that are, you know, talented surgeons and, you know, uh, you're experts at, you know, building homes. You can become an expert and know everything about that. But you can't do it with more than four or five things. Whereas a computer can know everything. We're just downloading. The AI is smarter than the human. And that's the dangerous part, the expert says. There are no rules, no laws, and no regulations that govern AI today. You guys seen it on TV? They were having the Congress come together and say, we need to do something. The government is afraid that it will be, listen to this, it will wipe out the middle class. The experts say that in the next two years, 80 million people will be put out of their jobs. 80 million. But don't worry, because 9 million will have jobs created for them. You better get the technological service here, guys. I read an article on Friday 
uh, about what's happening in Ukraine. It says that AI has quietly played a significant role in how Ukraine has managed to perform so well against a larger and seemingly stronger opponent in, in Russia, providing the smaller nation with a wide range of advantages it might not otherwise have. The reporter who's embedded with the soldier says, the Ukrainians are doing a ton of stuff. I mean, the innovation on the battlefield is out of this world right now. And honestly, the U.S. government and the Western governments have no idea the innovation that is taking place. They can't keep up with it. The Ukrainians are moving too fast. That's amazing. It's amazing. The image comes alive. Look at what it says it does here in Revelation 16. It causes people to not... To the, not, to, not to be able to buy or sell this in verse 16 of Revelation 13. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark. Ooh, we've heard of this forever. I remember when I was a little kid and my mom would scare me. They're going to put a mark on you if you don't behave. I'm like, no. <laughs> don't, don't put that 666 mark. No. <laughs> it says there that the mark... It says the great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, so that they could not, so they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of it. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of men. That number is six, six, six. Isn't it amazing? They were all identified by a number. That just blows my mind. And then here, in the last days, there's a number attached to it, 666. Hmm. The mark. What is it? I personally think it's a computer chip. You know, the, the, the companies have been using the computer chip in the hand for a decade now. I want to show you this chip that goes into your hand. It's the size of a rice. Check it out. The size of a rice right there on your fingertip. I've been using this for 10 years now. Look at the next one. If you look at it, here it's on the left hand, but we know it's going to go on the right hand. Let me read what it says regarding the people who have already done this. The implant can be used to pay for a drink on the beach in Rio, a coffee in New York, a haircut in Paris, or at your local grocery store. It can be used wherever ca uh, contactless payments are accepted. It's here. This is amazing. I mean, it, it, it's ready to go. They just need a bad guy, right? Every system is great. By the way, the, the way that they're trying to get us to accept it is, is by saying, hey, listen, listen to what's happening to your kids. They're being kidnapped. They're being I don't know about you, but I want my little girl to, to have something that I can mark her, right? If you, to, to know where she's at at any given moment. That would be amazing. And that would bring me a lot of peace. Where's Brianna, you know? Uh, I don't want to tell you stories of how I left her. Anyways, uh, <laughs> where, where's Brianna? <laughs> Mark it on your phone. The other day, my wife, I was uh, coming from Big Bear. Uh, we had the, the college retreat up at Lake Tahoe, not Big Bear, Lake Tahoe. And I was coming down, and we, I mean, we drove for 10 hours because of that. You remember that big snowstorm that came through? We were right smack in that. And we finally made it, and I stopped to get... Taco Bell, of all places. I'm a Mexican. What am I eating there for? Anyways, so I'm at Taco Bell, and my wife calls, oh, you got down from Lake Tahoe. I see you at Taco Bell. And I'm like, I'm like, how does she know that, you know? And, and I'm like, how do you know that? And she goes, oh, I, I put your information on my phone so I can know where you're at at any given time. Like, the other day, I was at the grocery store, and she goes, I see you're at the grocery store. Can you get da-da-da-da? And I'm like... How do I get that off your phone? <laughs> Modern technology has caught up to the Bible. The implant. Think about this, the implant of the head. Elon, Elon Musk said Neuralink, his company, has shown positive signs on test animals. In 2020, Musk said that Neuralink has successfully implanted a chip in a pig's brain and was able to study its neural data. The system was able to accurately detect the pig's limb position while it walked on a treadmill. It also recorded neural 
activity when it was exposed to food. Musk later stated that Neuralink has, has also successfully tested the system on a monkey. Great. He further added that the monkey with the implant was able to successfully play a video game. Really? Do we need that? (laughs) Neuralink has recently got approval for the FDA in the USA to start trials on human subjects. It's needed, right, for those that can't use their body. They can put that now in their brain. I don't know where, but they can put that. And they can have conversations on the web. They can have phone calls. They can ask for help. They can do all these, these amazing things. Right? It's great technology in the right hand. Horrible technology in the wrong hand. That's how it goes with everything. Right? So we're there. We're there. The pandemic moved us closer to Revelation than in any event in history. It was a dry run. The whole world was on lockdown. My wife and I were in India when, it, when the pandemic broke out. For 26 days, there was no flights coming in or out of India. And finally, the U.S. Embassy sent planes to rescue us. That was 26 days later. Let me tell you, it looks like in India. If you were playing outside with your kids, the policemen would come and beat you and send you into your home. You couldn't go out of your district or your even, even more of your barrio. You couldn't go out of your area. They had roadblocks, and the only way that you were able to get by them if you were showing a, a, a certified reason. You had a job at the hospital or this, but it was roadblock. You couldn't go. They had policemen in every, every roadblock, and they wanted us to drive from where we were at, which is about 12 hours to Delhi, with roadblocks up and down the streets. We're like, we're not doing that. We'll just wait it out. Finally, the U.S. Embassy sent a plane to get us. They put a mark on every foreigner. They were looking for Heather and I. We were in the mountains. They didn't know where we were at. But they put a mark on them and said that you had to stay in your home. And this mark, you couldn't wash it. I don't know what they used, but you couldn't wash it off. It was very difficult to take off. It took months for it to come off some of the people's hands that that traveled with us. But they marked them and said, you guys, you stay in your home and don't come out. And if you come out, we're going to find you. We're going to arrest you and take you into jail. This is how it was. I want to read this writer, Shanghai CNN. He wrote this. This is, remember everything became calm around the world, but then all of a sudden in Shanghai, they got crazy. Let me read this to you. The distant echo of a megaphone blares most mornings from the narrow laneways where I lived in Shanghai, calling me and my neighbors from our home for our mandatory COVID tests. Mask on and cell phone in hand, I step outside before the volunteer in hazmat suits have time to knock. If you miss the call, they will keep knocking until someone answers. No one is exempt. The massive city of 25 million people is at the center of China's effort to stamp out the country's largest ever COVID outbreak. No one is allowed to leave their residence, uh, the residential compound, even to buy food, meaning we rely on the government or private delivery drivers stretched thin by the massive demand. That's creating huge pressure on the system. And for many people, the restrictions are more distressing than the threat of virus. Do you remember here in America? You could not buy or sell without a mask. Remember all those stories? Ross would come in, yeah, they didn't want to sell any food to me because I had my mask below my nose. But that note, I mean, it's funny to hear Ross talk about those stories. And then he would put the mask on because the lady was like, I'm not touching the, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching this, you know, this cash register until you put the mask back over your nose. Now, those are funny stories. Serious to her, right? But you could not buy or sell without a mask. In my lifetime, I thought I'd never see that. The whole world was shut down. The whole world was controlled by a system, by these governments. It was a dry run for this very purpose, for revelation to take place. That is wild. That is shocking. 
I can go on all, all day if you guys want, man. I, you know, talk about drones in chapter 9 when you see the locusts come out. We'll get that another day. Fair warning. Modern technology has caught up to the Bible. Fair warning. God has given it to us. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 2 to 3. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. We can examine what's going on, guys. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to read Revelation and look at modern technology and match it. It blows your mind. Jesus said this in Revelation 22, 7. He said, Behold, pay attention. I'm coming soon. He will return, and we should be living in the light of that every day. When he comes, he will come quickly without delay, There will be no time for the nominal Christian to clean up their acts or their unbelievers to cry out for salvation. Jesus simply instructs us to live our best life in him and continue to do so until he returns. How would you like your story to end? (laughs) What's the message that you're given? I don't know about you, but for me, the moment I gave my life to Jesus, oh, I remember that day. It's so fresh on my memory how he he chased me down and he revealed himself to me, this ugly soul of a man that lived contrary to him and he cried out to me, I love you, Bon, and I died for you. The most bitter cry I've ever cried was right here on the altar. I was ashamed but I was loved. I repented of my sins, and from that day forward, I said, I'm going to live for you. And that's what I've done. Almost 37, almost 40 years of living for him. And I I can just go on and tell you about my life, but man, every day, I lived for him. That's my heart desire. And it's, I'm a slave to him, free slave, because of what he's done for me. I don't know how you're living your life, but when we read and study Revelation, it always makes us come to a place where we evaluate our lives and we, we take inventory. What are we doing? Where are we, where are we spending our time? What, what are, you know? Are you video video games all day, all night, you know? I've been there. I remember that. That was like, what, 17, 18 for some of you, like 45, you know? uh, (laughs) I remember. I I remember being convicted by the Holy Spirit at 25. Don't play that anymore. You know, I wanted to, you know? Being convicted about a lot of things, serving the Lord, making all these excuses why I can't serve the Lord why I can't serve the church, why I can't, because I work so hard for, you know, I love to give. That's my ministry. I don't need to serve. I mean, I made every excuse. What are you doing with your life in these last days? How are you going to end the story of your life? What's going to be written? Hope on my, on my gravestone, it's written, Bond lived his life out for Jesus Christ. I pray that for you. Let's pray. I love that Jesus gives us fair warning. He he tells us that, hey, these things are happening so you can look at the timeline and and schedule your life. (laughs) For some, it it should awaken you and, and... some it brings fear because you haven't given your life to Jesus and I think there's nothing bad with that (laughs) I didn't come to Christ because someone preached hell I came to Christ because someone preached grace and love but I've preached hell before people came to Christ 
I preached fear before and people came to Christ. I don't know where you're at this morning, but if Christ is calling you and he's knocking on your heart and saying, give me your life, then what hinders you right now to give your life to him? If that's you this morning, raise your hand. I'd love to pray a prayer with you. You know, if you notice in the Bible, there's these great opportunities of these great men who call people to the kingdom of God. John the Baptist, come you sinners. Given the great altar call, if you will, come great sinners. Come and show fruits worthy of repentance. Jesus who steps up on the stairs and he says, all you that are thirsty, come follow me. He gives that great altar call. I'm doing that this morning. If you want to come to Jesus, raise your hand high and I'll pray a prayer with you that you can pray yourself. Anybody here that wants to give their life to Jesus, raise it high. I know that there are many of us that need to get right with God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but this is the time to pray. Pray, Lord, put me from the wide road that leads to destruction to the narrow road that leads to glory. Or change my path, my direction that I'm going in. Alter my life, Lord, that I may bring you glory. I think a lot of us need to pray that, so let's do that right now. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we pray for forgiveness of our sins, Lord. The direction that we're going, Lord, uh, wow. Boy, I sure get, I got caught up in the cares of this life. I got caught up in this, this world system, building my kingdom instead of your kingdom. And I'd like to change that today, Lord. Lord, I want to I want to give you my life and say, Lord, do all you need to correct my heart and my thoughts that I might glorify you, that I might live for you. Help me to recognize the signs of the time, knowing that your appearing is soon, Lord. Help us now to prepare our lives to meet you. So that we might hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you that we get to exalt you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, King of glory, the one who was and is and is to come, the majesty on high, that our Redeemer. We give you all the glory and praise. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.